1: Welcome to Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Matasek. It seems that the Christmas season just isn't complete without Christmas carols and other holiday songs. What is it about this particular music that seems to put people in such a good mood, and why does it have such staying power? Dr. Remy Chu is a musicologist at Loyola University, Maryland, in Baltimore, who specializes in Renaissance music. He's also the author of Plague and Music in the Renaissance which examines the role of music and music making in the medical, spiritual, and civic strategies for combating pestilence. Joining us to talk about Christmas carols and also his fascinating research into music during times of plague is Dr. Chu. Dr. Chu, thanks so much for being
2: here. Thanks for having me.
1: Christmas music has been in people's ears since Thanksgiving and and even earlier. Uh, Most people seem to like it, although some complain about the repetition of certain songs. What is it about Christmas music that seems to put people in a good mood?
2: Um, I think uh, you you hit you know the the nail on the head. It's um, the idea that music uh, acts very directly on our emotions, and um, researchers have uh, found that one of the most um, one of the clearest ways in which music really. uh, gets us into the mood of things is by uh, evoking certain memories and certain associations uh, with the past. And this could be um, a very specific memory, uh, memory tied to a very specific song. So for example, you know, the time you baked cookies with Grandma and Elvis's Blue Christmas was playing, um, that song would bring you back to that very nice moment. Or it could actually be quite general, so holiday music as a soundtrack to getting together with friends or family at a dinner or um, maybe um, the office party, right? Um, So through the years, we become conditioned to feel warm and friendly whenever we hear that seasonal music. So it's really um, that association, uh, that associative property of music Mm -hmm. um, that works so well on us and, of course, that cuts both ways, as you uh, also brought up. So for those of us who don't have positive associations, um, we would find Christmas music rather you know, innocuous or perhaps even annoying. Or if someone has negative associations, those songs can be very unbearable as well. What
1: are some of the earliest forms of Christmas music? I, I know there are some ancient liturgical chants that we still use today, such as O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, especially during Advent. Uh, what are some of the others?
2: Well, there are um, those carols um, that are, you know, from the Middle Ages and um, associated with chant and liturgy, and those have been around for a long time. Um, you know, a lot of them, it might surprise us to learn, um, things that seem like it's very old music is um, actually uh, quite recent um, so jingle bells from the 19th century, and you know a lot of the more um, popular ones are from the 30s through the 60s, which is kind of this golden age of uh, Christmas music. And we've kind of stuck around that uh, period um, f- recently. Uh, I think uh, maybe MacRae Carey and Wham, notwithstanding, um, we tend to stick to those older sounds and older songs. Um, and I think. It has a lot to do with, again, that idea of nostalgia, um, where the point of Christmas music or how it activates emotions in us is through past associations. So it's actually very hard to make um, new Christmas music stick. Um, so I talked about Mariah Carey, and that's uh, all I want for Christmas, and that's already from 1994, quite incredibly. Um, so it's already very old. Um, so standards are, are very difficult in, in, that, in that way.
1: When you think about some of the most popular Christmas carols, uh, I'm thinking of Silent Night or Away in the Manger and, and some others, they seem to cut across cultures. Uh, Silent Night is sung in German and Spanish and Polish and Chinese and all kinds of languages. It just seems to be a global phenomenon. Why do you think that is, that songs like that just seem to cut across culture
2: I think the tunes are just so simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's one thing. It's um, easy to sing. Um, It it, it forms earworms (laughs) in people very easily. So I think just the accessibility of it, um, how easy it is to um, participate, uh, makes them very attractive tunes. And they also tend to be quite repetitive. Right. So Silent Nights, same verse again and again and again, for example. Um, so that immediate appeal is there.
1: In the Catholic Church, there's no Christmas music played during liturgies until it's actually Christmas. But in the secular world, as you mentioned, it just seems to be everywhere, and, and it's much earlier, and then it's gone by New Year's. Do you have any thoughts there on when holiday music should start to be played, or, or any personal preferences?
2: Well, I hate to be prescriptive about it, but um, I understand why um, uh, people do it, and especially retail environments. Um, so, um, research as researchers have found that um, you know stores playing Christmas music and maybe even uh, releasing Christmas scents in their stores put people in the holiday mood, um, uh, and they become more generous <laughs> with their gift buying. So, uh, if we want to be cynical about it. It's a really good commercial move, I think. Um, And especially with this idea of um, shopping creep, Christmas creep going earlier and earlier and earlier, uh, right after Thanksgiving, Um, it becomes a very calculated way uh, using Christmas carols to get people spending.
1: Do you have any personal favorite Christmas carols or any favorite holiday songs?
2: I do. I think um, for the nostalgia aspect, definitely uh, Bing Crosby and David Bowie, uh, their duet of Drummer Boy uh, and Peace on Earth is a fantastic one. Um, And for (laughs) more recent contribution perhaps is uh, uh, the Pogues uh, fairy tale of New York. Uh, A little bit uh, melancholy and and quite uh, bittersweet, but um, I think it's a very interesting ballad um, and quite evocative.
1: I've noticed that there's a substantial number of Christmas carols and songs that are in minor keys, which is kind of interesting. It it gives it almost sort of a, a mystical or otherworldly feel when you think of What Child Is This or, or some songs like that. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: It might be that they're, they are so effective because they evoke that old-timiness. Um, it's perhaps minor or perhaps even it's just modal, right? So pre-major and minor. So evoking that sound um, gives us this aura of timelessness. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, that mi- minor sound, that you know, slightly melancholy sound gives a feeling of, again, that bitter sweetness that we, um, we feel with feelings like nostalgia um, So there's something very calming about that as well.
1: Well, our guest today is Dr. Remy Chu, a musicologist at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore. We're going to take a little break, and when we come back, we'll talk with Dr. Chu about some of his research into the power of music, especially as it relates to difficult times such as in a pandemic. I'm George Matasek. You're listening to Catholic Review Radio. We'll be back in a moment.
3: have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years.
4: Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay.
3: I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it.
4: Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime.
3: Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold.
4: Donate at your local parish every child enters the world with limitless potential. Potential of mind, potential of body, potential of spirit. If there was only a place where that potential could be nurtured and challenged every day, where the limits of greatness, once unseen, could now be within reach. Catholic schools rise above.
5: Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. A crowd of nearly 100 people, including donors, program recipients, and other invited guests, gathered at our Daily Bread Employment Center in Baltimore December 8th, where Catholic Charities of Baltimore formally launched their largest capital campaign in the organization's nearly 100-year history. The funds of the historic $75 million Greater Promise fundraising effort will support Catholic Charities' nearly 100 programs, with a primary focus on an intergenerational center in West Baltimore, expanding school readiness through Head Start, Gallagher Services, and the Cherry Hill Town Center. The new campaign claims to reimagine several of Catholic Charities' most significant public service programs, according to William McCarthy, Jr., Executive Director of Catholic Charities. The fundraising effort began in the spring and has already raised $45 million. Catholic Charities hopes to raise the rest by its 100th anniversary in 2023. 10% of Maryland's population lives in poverty. The poverty rate is 22% in Baltimore City and as high as 17% in Maryland's rural counties. 55% of Baltimore City's employed population lives on the edge of poverty. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. During most of her 50 years as a school sister of Notre Dame, Sister Charmaine Crow worked to build up the church and the local community. In addition to founding the San Ambrose Outreach Center, she has worked among the northwest Baltimore community to feed people, educate children, and get people jobs. Now as the Atlantic Midwest Province's provincial leader, she faces the prospect of a shrinking and aging religious population, few new vocations, and the necessary task of closing SSND facilities. Of the Atlantic Midwest Province's 381 sisters, 323 are over the age of 70. During a property stewardship study conducted from 2012 to 2016, the provincial council decided to close the Maria Healthcare Center at Villa Assumpta on North Charles Street in Baltimore County. The sisters were moved to Stella Maris in Timonium in June. The council is still considering options for the remaining 40-plus sisters at Villa Assumpta. The facility is for sale and will close once the remaining sisters find a new home. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Wishing you the very best this holiday season for the Catholic Review. I'm Kevin Parks.
6: With inviting surroundings, complete independence, and an unmatched quality of life, Mercy Ridge is the unparalleled choice for your retirement lifestyle. It's a way of living that promotes an active, healthier life. Located in Timonium, Maryland, Mercy Ridge Continuing Care Retirement Community features a beautifully landscaped 32-acre campus. The grounds, dining, and recreational amenities and residences are designed to provide a gracious lifestyle and a variety of exciting activities visit mercyridge.com
0: This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Welcome back to
1: Catholic Review Radio. I'm George Madisec. Our guest today is Dr. Remy Chu, a musicologist at Loyola University Maryland in Baltimore. Dr. Chu specializes in Renaissance music, and he's also the author of Plague and Music in the Renaissance. Dr. Chu, obviously we're going through a pandemic right now. Uh, Could you talk about the commonalities of what we're experiencing now with what happened during plagues of previous eras, especially as it relates to the impact of music?
2: Yeah, I think we can... um see a lot of similarities in the ways that we've uh, responded to plague um, as a public health problem or re- responded to COVID as a public health uh, problem. Um, so even as early as the 14th century, um, quarantine um, was a, uh, um, a usual procedure for um, uh, handling uh, the outbreaks. Um, so all those um, uh, related problems like um, the shuttering of businesses, the difficulty in provisioning um, stores and people, um, was it, o- occurred as well in, in the Renaissance and in, in the Middle Ages. So all those uh, similar difficulties uh, were social difficulties and, and financial difficulties were uh, are very similar um, between now and the past, and uh, of course. Uh, Plague and COVID um, results in fear, um, results in anxiety, and results in negative um, emotions. And I think this is where music comes in as um, an anodyne, as medicine. Um, So in the past, in the the Renaissance period, um, doctors earnestly thought that emotional disturbances, um, uh, negative feelings... Um, fear of death, so on and so forth, had a, a profoundly negative impact on physical health. Um, to give you an example, um, one doctor uh, in a uh, plague treatise advises readers uh, that during outbreaks uh, they should not go to the public baths, right? um, saying that you know a congregation of people um, spreads the plague. And then in the next breath, he says, because talking with people, hearing bad news, can bring on plague buboes or plague sores in your body. So the idea is that just thinking about it, just being told about these things, um, all the deaths and all the sickness, will make you yourself instantly ill. Right? Um, and the fascinating thing is that doctors and talk about how you can preserve what we would today think of as our mental health, right? So how do you insulate the mind from fear and from worry? And they prescribed uh, any number of things like reading stories um, with friends, telling jokes, playing games. But most of all, they uh, provisioned um, music. They prescribed music. Um, so they tell people to sing, uh, to sing songs with each other after dinner, uh, to play instrumental music, um, to engage in those kinds of recreation. So in the past, you can see uh, music from a medical point of view um, was very important. And it's also quite democratic and accessible, um, whereas um, drugs and maybe other um, surgical interventions were very expensive. Music and singing was something that was accessible to many, many people. Um, And what struck me um, with COVID is that um, in the early days, um, in April 2020, uh, the CDC issued uh, some guidelines for dealing with mental health during um, COVID. And they said um, stress and doom scrolling through the Internet, listening to bad news can be harmful. Um, to your mental health. So take breaks and hang out with friends and uh, engage in recreational activities that you enjoy. So all the same things that doctors in the Middle Ages and Renaissance were already prescribing. So on that, um, in that context, I think music was very, very important. Are there any scientific studies that, that show the benefits of listening to music? Yes, absolutely. So, um, In the 20th century, we're coming back to the position that the ancient Greeks and the Renaissance doctors had, which was that music had this very uh, strong link to um, regulating um, mental and physical health, uh, and that those two things are tightly intertwined. Um, So the the idea that there's a psychosomatic effect um, that that music activates is um, something that we're rediscovering again. So uh, the, the f- kind of the pathways for how music um, benefits us, is uh, they're still a little bit mysterious, but uh, scientists have noted that we can tolerate pain, for example, for a longer period when we're listening to music. Um, we can um, regulate our bodily rhythms, our pulse, our breathing, etc., etc., uh, with music very effectively. Um, So that the entire branch of music therapy uh, is founded on those principles that Listening to music and that participating in music making can really be a health benefit
1: What would people listen to during the Renaissance when they had these plagues going on? Uh, What would be some of the kinds of music a family or an individual would typically listen to or or would sing?
2: Yeah, that's a great question Um, The doctors would have prescribed um, kind of lighthearted secular music, right? Anything that brings joy. Um, But in fact, theologians were a little bit skeptical about that. Um, They said that in such calamitous times when one can just drop dead, um, why are you wasting your life with this frivolity? So they themselves um, prescribed. Religious music, spiritual songs, Um, the organs of the church, one of them said, is to be the music of plague times. So um, I think there's a whole range of music that would have been useful according um, to the different points of views. And certainly uh, music was very useful in um, large-scale religious Uh, activities as well. So one of the things that um, Europeans routinely practiced was uh, the general procession. So everyone would empty out on the streets and they would um, march through the city uh, demonstrating to God, um, who was thought to be the ultimate cause of plague, demonstrating to him how contrite the entire population is. And during these processions, they would sing uh, religious hymns and also the Litany of the Saints. Um, so those kinds of music become um, really important ritual tools as well.
1: As different plagues emerge over the centuries, do we see the same kind of thinking over time that that you need music to help you get through those difficulties?
2: I think uh, emotional... Um, a kind of regulation that, that serves as a primary function of music all the way through, uh, absolutely. But um, with COVID, um, you can see music um, activating other kinds of benefits uh, as well. So during the early days of the global lockdowns in 2020, Spotify noticed that people were creating collaborative playlists more often. Um, So it became a way for people to get in touch with friends at a distance. People were also sharing their playlists with friends and families and on social media more often. So you can see music as a kind of gift-giving in the absence of those kinds of contact with our friends and family. So um, music has become, through the digital world, um, a way of bridging um, the loneliness of uh, isolation.
1: I found it interesting that during the pandemic, we've had choirs and other groups that would continue to sing, but they would do it virtually. They they would do it through Zoom, and then each person would record his or her own part and then mix it together, and, and they were able to get it out there on the Internet. And, and some of those had tens of thousands of views or more. So I I, I thought that was really fascinating.
2: Yeah, I think that's um, really uh, uplifting for viewers. Um, But I think you pointed out uh, an essential aspect of that is that um, what we see as collaborative music making was actually, uh, in the first instance, individuals singing into their own uh, recording devices and then later mixed together. So that liveness of music, um, that collaborative effort is completely missing. And uh, early research has found that um, the experience of these virtual choirs, even when people were singing uh, at the same time with people um, online, uh, the experience has, has been very mixed for people. Uh, some uh, really do enjoy it and see it as a viable replacement, but many feel that something is missing. and it um, doesn't seem like that the psychological benefits that we notice uh, when people are singing live together with others, um, those benefits are, uh, are kind of being obtained in these virtual um, uh, singing sessions.
1: In your research, what has most surprised you uh, regarding music and the plague
2: I think um, the surprises are really uh, kind of rereading the documents I had read in the past and realizing um, sometimes how I have misinterpreted maybe um, what people in the past have said. And I'll give you an example. Um, There was a doctor um, writing in the 16th century who said that one of the signs of plague um, was that animals... Were howling differently. They were noisier than usual. Frogs were croaking differently, and birds were singing and more. Cl- uh, kind of, um, they clattered more and made more noise. And when I read this um, before, when I was doing this research before the pandemic, I had always thought that that was a nice metaphor for the discord um, and the chaos of plague. But this year, uh, or last year during lockdowns, um, ornithologists found that birds were actually singing differently. They were singing at a lower frequency because human activity um, and the noise that we make, um, we were no longer competing with them. Mm -hmm. So they were singing differently. And of course, we were noticing sounds uh, that we never noticed before because the soundscape had completely changed. So thinking back to you know, what they were writing in the Renaissance, all of a sudden this metaphorical passage could have been actually quite literal and really describes the experience of, um, of calamity when just sounds changed. Well, uh,
1: Dr. Remy Chu, musicologist at Loyola University, Maryland in Baltimore, thanks again for being here on Catholic Review Radio. Thank you. For Catholic Review Radio, I'm George Matisek. Thanks for listening.
3: I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years.
4: Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay.
3: I always taught the primary
4: grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime.
3: Thank you, and God bless you
4: a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish.
6: Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app.